Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Uh, we're glad to be back with you. Uh, it's me, your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish. Joining me today is Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Evening all. Mr. Lee Frost. Hello. And Mr. Matt Lovell. Hello. How the devil are we all in this kind of ridiculous British heatwave, which we don't ever get? So it's kind of weird and we're all hot and sweaty and it's not nice. <laughs> try watching try spending a whole weekend in this heat watching a video game conference and then recording it at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah we apologize for any kind of fan noise in the background but i think we'd just all be puddles by the end of this if we didn't have them on so um what have you been all up to let's start with you lee apart from watching video okay. game conferences um, um i've actually been um playing through sackboy a big adventure um finally been sitting on my to play for uh, to play pile for a while and um it's so good it's just such a lovely little platformer um definitely mm-hmm. pretty up there is one of my favorite platformers that i've ever played um so it's kind of i think the best comparison is something like super mario 3d world where it's 3d environments but it's kind of very linear and there's a fixed camera angle and it's sort of slightly from above and everything um but it's um, it's just some of the imagination in on show in that game is astounding. Like this, it's like every level has its own little gimmick that it's got, and you've got to try and work around that. Um, like it genuinely feels like something that Nintendo could have put together, but it is a Sony game. Um, and then there's also just the music as well of it. The, the music licensing budget must have been the biggest part of that game because it just. <laughs> it goes to some weird places because they've got like musical levels where the entire level is built around a music track. So, it, and like it's a few levels into the, at the start of the game. And as you go in, you hear like the up 10 funk opening riff, just playing on a radio. And I was like, am I hearing that right? And then like you jump into this catapult and then the catapult fires you on beat on the beat of the song as you go down this slide and it's still all to the tune of the song and you just, the song just kicks in as you're on the ramp and everything. And it's just, and the whole level is bouncing around to the tune of uptown funk and there's different bits and pieces that are synced up to the song. And it's just, it's insane. And they do that a few other times. Then they've got a Bowie level in there. Uh, there's a Britney Spears level as well, which threw me when that <laughs> happened. Um, but there's also like, license things so they can rearrange them because there's like a jungle level and I was sitting there going I know this tune it's like it sounds like tribal sort of tribal sort of you know chanting and and sort of African Mm -hmm. instruments and stuff but you realize that it's Depeche mode it's just can't get enough and I'm like what did you do (laughs) and it happens a few times throughout the game and it's just like Okay, and then there's like the usual set of like, we've found like weird little indie artists who make songs that sound like they fit with Little Big Planet, and we just kind of put them in the game as well. The Go Team show up again, and Anna Managuchi show up again, um, and it's just it's just such a, it just adds to this weird, like fun imaginative atmosphere of the whole game, and I've just been having a lot of fun with it. So, do you get the twee British narrator of? Uh, you- any sadly, you d- sadly Stephen Fry isn't in this one like he has been in all the sort of Little Big Planet games. But you do get um, there's a character called Scarlet who accompanies you 
throughout the game and she'll pop up occasionally and offer you guidance, offer Sackboy guidance on what he needs to do next. And it's it's Dawn French. Pretty good. It's a good casting. Um, and the villain is actually Richard E. Grant as well. Apparently, apparently yeah, his but... first ever video game role, and it's it's in Sackboy. <laughs> it's because they missed out That's on that be. licensed game for With Nail and I, where you constantly <laughs> demand the finest wines. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I keep imagining somebody to remake that for something like the ZX Spectrum or the Commodore 64, a, a glorious <laughs> 8-bit version. See, that's why, because like for the most of the most of the many of the villain was talking, I was half expecting him to go like, we, "I've done all this by mistake. I'm sorry." <laughs> He <laughs> just gets drowned out by rain. No, that would be cool. Yeah, it sounds like a really fun game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not as a non-Sony person. Little Big Planets kind of passed me yeah. by, but um, they always sound like they're really fun mm-hmm. interactive games. And a bit of a segue from Dreams, which I know you struggled to get to grips with. Yeah, it's a very difficult game to get to grips with. But we have, but I mean, now we've kind of got Little Big Planet in two different parts because of that. Because we've got Sackboy, which is a purely a platformer now, doesn't have the create mode. But then you've got Dreams, which is Media Molecule themselves making just the create mode, but it's even more complicated. And that's mm-hmm. how it's split now for some reason. Yeah, I saw somebody made like an entire level of Sonic. Yeah. In, it's in it's crazy it's to make in there. Um, I'd love to like properly sit down and give it, figure it all out. But there's just so mm. much stuff in it. You're allowed so much freedom with it. But. Cool. Any other exciting adventures of non-sacrilege? Uh, no. I mean, most of what I've been doing is is over the past few days, especially has been E3. So <laughs> editing <laughs> that and updating cool. release schedules and things like that just to keep track of everything yeah. yeah i mean you've got some reaction videos over on your patreon yes. channel so yep if you want to go check that um, out do you want to give us the and link? also there will be a um an edited highlight of like sort of the main things so the big big releases and games that caught my my attention it's like an hour and a half of just everything kind of smushed together with some of my general thoughts on the conferences in between as well so that'll go that'll be up by the time this comes out as well so go and check out Bob the Pet Ferry on Patreon and YouTube for that. Matt, how about yourself? How you been the last few weeks? Yeah, not too bad. Um, busy, but in with the tying with the British weather, I thought I'd enjoy the sunshine. And last weekend, um, me and my partner went to. He took me to uh, Ginny Ring, the Ginny Ring, like just outside Bromsgrove, <laughs> spontaneously, <laughs> and. It's the most middle-class experience I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for people who aren't sort of local, it's kind of like uh, sort of quaint little villagey type um, area where there's loads of shops in one enclosed space. So there's shops. There's also um, a sort of like a pond and a bit of a farm sort of there as well. And you've got... Um, like a local brewer, a local chocolatier, a local butcher, um, a glass blower. Then you've got um, a gift shop with loads of like artsy stuff. And you've got a couple of sort of like workspaces, but also turned little shops. So from like artists to, you know, woodwork, that kind of thing. 
Um, it was interesting. Uh, definitely, I definitely wasn't the demographic for it. I'll, just, I'll say that. <laughs> um, but we did the whole experience. We went to the cafe and had a. I had a baguette for about fifteen quid. Um, so. <laughs> And um, I got fired out by a horse. So overall, it was a great weekend. And um, <laughs> I, I obviously I did the other British thing of I went out without wearing sunscreen because I I just I thought it would be fine. It would be absolutely fine. And so by about five o'clock, I was looking like a lobster, and I couldn't I couldn't touch anything. And I couldn't even sit in the car. <laughs> <just burn. laughs> <laughs> so, so that was my that was my trip to uh, Ginny's room just outside Bromwich Grove. <laughs> Fun, yeah, um, yeah. And as I say, I've, I've just about recovered from my suntan. Uh, I now have the the joy of one arm, which is peeling slowly. It looks like I've been a truck driver for about two weeks. <laughs> it's just one arm is peeling, and the rest of me is fine. But it's just I keep looking down, like, oh. <laughs> it's just horrible because I just kind of like. Just sit there with your skin peeling, sweaty, like I've gained weight, mm-hmm. so all my shirts are sticking to me. I'm just there being like I just feel like I'm an attractive slug, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like a human Greg Foster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for people overseas who watch this, UK does not have air conditioning. We'll have it in maybe offices and some some offices and some shops. Hotels as well. At home. Think. Yeah, hotels. But we don't have it in our home, like, as a standard thing. And our homes are built for the British weather, which means they're designed to keep rain out and keep the heat in. They're all, like, small, thick windows, thick walls, and, yeah. Gets gets warm in the summer. But even with, sort of, office air conditioning, you'll find it's working in the winter. It's, it's <laughs> polar, like, polar ice cap here cold in the winter and then when the summer comes around you really want it it's broken so we as a as a kind of nation just don't understand weather yeah as soon as that thermometer gets over about 25 degrees centigrade britain pretty much just starts to melt (laughs) (laughs) have any of you ever encountered for for a while there was an architectural thing where people went around saying we're going to build a building that self-regulates its heating and i've been in a few and i don't think it's ever worked in any building i've ever been in because generally like you said every british building is super super hot in the summer and super super freezing cold in the winter and i'm not sure whether like all of these architects are australian and they've just got it the wrong way around because they expect the summer to be cold and the winter to be hot and that's how they've designed it, or whether it's just a um, some some snake oil, emperor's new clothes. They've just gone, yeah, we've going to design this building. It's going to self-regulate. It's great. It's like no. I, mean, I think the only time British people are happy is when it's about sixteen to seventeen degrees and overcast, which means we can go outside and do what we want, and it's not too cold inside or outside. But we get like two weeks of that a year. The rest of the time, it's too cold or it's too hot. This is. So that's kind of like we just live for two weeks out of fifty-two. This, of the is, year. Why insi- this <laughs> is why I insist that like autumn is the best season because that's when it starts. Yeah. You know, it gets cooler, and also you have Halloween, but that's separate to the weather. <laughs> so I have a theory about this, and it's about school summer holidays, and we get it ingrained to us that the six weeks that we have off for school summer holidays when we grow up 
is like the best time of our lives. But it's not because summer is a miserable, mm. miserable season. Spring, autumn, fine. Summer, I hate summer. It's too warm, <laughs> too hot. Can't do anything. Stay home. And if you do go out, you'll see too many other people around as well, which is not great in a pandemic. Mm. Just want a big pokey <laughs> stick to keep them away. Now, the only time I've really enjoyed summer like that was like when I've been to when they used to have nine worlds down in London and I'd just go down to London for a week, even though the conference, the extra convention was on like the weekend. I'd just go for the whole week mm-hmm. and just like wander around London. And pretty much every time I do that, it'd be like the, sort of towards the end of August and it would get the weather would get really nice. And I would just, that would be great. And of course, I'd be staying in a hotel with air conditioning, so that helped too. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's like the only time that I've ever really enjoyed summer. Yeah, the the worst thing about London in the summer is the underground. Oh yeah, because it 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 is like the seventh circle of hell when you get down mm. there. You get the awful fart of wind that gets pushed <laughs> into your face as the tube train comes in. Everybody's hot, everybody's sweaty. It's like thirty degrees down there all the time. And it's kind of, it's just a joyless experience getting the tube in the summer. And it's like the one worst thing about convention season when you do go down to the convention in the summer, it's it's always at least a half an hour tube ride because you get into the centre of London and it's always somewhere completely out of the way to go to, like Q or something like that to go to a convention. <laughs> yeah, British people don't do something very well. Anything else exciting, Matt? Uh, I mean, in terms of geekiness, uh, I suppose I finished watching the final season of Castlevania on Netflix. Um, Verdict was, I don't know, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, It was was equal parts amazing. The amazing bits were amazing, and then the bad bits were bad. Um, So, like, the art style was still brilliant, and they really, like, they... When they had the set pieces, it was absolutely fantastic. But the story was a little bit all over the place, I thought, in terms of um, certain characters they built up, like these journeys, a kind of Game of Thrones situation where they built up all these characters and these journeys, and then some of them just kind of happened. Um, And then, without spoiling it, I think the ending what they did with some of the characters i was a bit like oh okay um yeah it so i enjoyed it i definitely recommend watching it but it wasn't i kind of hoped it for more um yeah i'll, I'll be interested so is that the final season then that's the final season so there is a, there is going to be a spin-off and i think if my knowledge is correct, I think it's like a prequel, so it follows the Belmonts in their peak. Um, so I'm um, looking forward to that. It's not a prequel, it's actually following on. Um, oh, is it following on? So, like, the, the, the original, like, what we've seen so far of Castlevania has been based largely off Castlevania 3. Simon's Quest, isn't it? No, not Simon's Quest. Um, Dracula's um, Curse is what I think Dracula's it's Curse, called. that's it, yeah. Because um, it's got, like, it's got Trevor Belmont and it's got um, Cypher and it's got Alucard. Um, but now I think the spin-off is going to be Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night, which is set oh, okay. further in the future. Just like a Simon's Quest was two, yeah, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. yeah, which was the really weird one, which wasn't like a Castlevania yeah. at all. It's <laughs> the one where you pretty much needed a guide to beat, yeah, because like it doesn't explain anything to you at all. Yeah, 
sounds like a Nintendo game in the <laughs> And we'd just interrupt you every every so often to just like turn everything dark and say what a horrible night to have a curse. <laughs> and you have to read every single sign, every single sign to make sure you know you're in the right way. Yep. I wonder if this final season though was affected by the fact that the main writer was a guy called Warren Ellis, who'd done a lot of comics stuff. And I don't know whether it was in between the between seasons or after the, the, the last season was aired, he ran into a bit of trouble for some uh, inappropriate behaviour. Um, so I'm wondering whether that had an impact on that and whether episodes had got ghost-written or he just didn't commit to uh, finishing the series correctly. Um, so I wonder if that had an impact on, on that last season. Possibly. I, I mean, um, don't be wrong, the, the season is still incredibly enjoyable and I'd definitely recommend it, but it was just more a case of um, it kind of didn't know where it wanted to go or which stories to focus on or which characters to focus on. So there were there were just some that fell flat and that kind of thing. And I think the, the ending itself was, again, a little bit... I think it, it should have ended at a certain point, but then it kept going... And when it ended, actually, cause it, I, when I thought it was going to end, it was quite emotional, and then it carried on. And I think that that kind of made me go, "Oh, okay." So yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like with, with well, at got... the end of the second season, like it felt like a natural ending. Absolutely, yeah. And then uh, what I thought they were going to do is follow what the actual Castlevania series was doing, like the games were doing, which would then they'd move on to a different era with a different Belmont, and then it was like, third season, we're continuing Trevor's story, and it's like, but it's done. Like, where do you go from here? And I think that's probably part of the problem as well. And and that's the thing. Like, the, the third series was very slow. Mm-hmm. It was very paced. But then the last couple of episodes were fantastic. Like, they were really they were quite fast-paced, but then a lot was happening to the point where there was, there was I think it was the penultimate episode, where several insane things were happening simultaneously and you were just sat there being like oh my god this is amazing yeah but then the fourth season kind of brought it back to this slow pace but then it kept going up and down a little mm. bit so you never knew where you were going with the story really mm. um so yeah <laughs> interesting well you've got dragon's dogma at least to keep you busy absolutely <laughs> Pretty, pretty much the same studio. <laughs> cool. Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks since we checked to you? Uh, much like the rest of you, I've been, uh, you know, renewing my disdain for the giant ball of flaming gas that powers the planet. Um, yeah. I thought you meant the one that powers the government uh, <laughs> for a second. Uh, he's not so big. He, yeah, that's just bluster. He just puffs himself up with that he's not he's only half the size he's, he's like a dog that's just had a bath and then been blown dry uh, it's all, all puff um i've also discovered uh that the vans that i've been wearing around the house uh recently other sneaker brands are available and the vinyl flooring i've got where i'm doing a lot of my work at the moment is causing me to charge up a massive amount of static electricity <laughs> to the point that i'm like thor at the end of uh, thor ragnarok uh, and I'm, I'm just literally electrocuting everything that comes within a five foot range. Um, 
which which is mildly amusing. And I didn't quite realise that it was the shoes, but it's definitely the shoes. I've I've experimented with various footwear. Uh, Are you playing immigrant song on Spotify on your phone every time you walk around the <laughs> yeah. house? But it's, I, I I have a I, I I do seem to have a thing to be able to be quite statically charged quite easily. It's like I electrocute myself on escalators in Birmingham all the time. Or metal railings. It's like, why do I just charge up so much? I don't wear nylon. It's like I'm, all, I'm wearing all natural fibres. I don't know how it happens. Um, but yeah, these these vans. It's like they they just supercharge me. It's just electric everywhere. It's incredible. I love it. This is why I don't wear shoes around the house. Yeah, it's well, so one of those things. Like I've, I've put them on to walk the dog, and then I've kind of like gone. Oh, I'll just I'm going to have to go outside again at some point, so mm. I'll just leave them on for now. Um, but just just the the particular flooring where I've got all of my sophisticated electronic equipment is just causing me to charge up, and it's like, it's like I better stop doing that. Um, as long as you don't touch a hard drive or anything while you're in that state. Yeah, which is a bit difficult because just within range, I can see seven or eight, yeah. which, which is not ideal. But yeah, well, don't do that. So I'd be just going unlimited power, <laughs> like Revenge of the Sith with the Emperor. Have uh, so, yeah. you used your? Uh, New powers to assert your authority over your domain. Yes. Doing kids. Like, <laughs> don't question me. <laughs> yeah, fry people. Um, other than that, uh, I've not done not done an awful lot of gaming, but for some reason I've been playing, when I do game, I've been playing Rain on Your Parade, uh, which I quite like as an indie game, where you play as like a cardboard cutout uh, cloud on strings over a kind of 3D uh, environment. Uh, and I was enjoying it. It was fine. It was, you know, it's a cute little game that I can just play and just rain on people, which is great for being a British uh, person. And then I got so far through the game, and it presented me with a uh, a, a version of, of Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. uh, which I must admit is the best Metal Gear Solid game I've played since the original. It was great, <laughs> but I was just a cloud. I was like solid cloud it was, it was amazing and a couple of levels later i got to play as if it was an episode of the american office um which was great as well <laughs> and that was just mildly interesting, amusing uh interesting couple of diversions in the middle yeah, of the it was just like well, well, the last level i was raining on campers and now i'm sneaking through a level uh, with the codec going off um, which I was I was enjoying quite a lot. Uh, it's pretty cool. And then the other big thing I've been doing is I've been catching up with 2000 AD, um, uh, which is on a kind of a roll at the moment, uh, but particularly down to one writer. Strangely enough, there's a, uh, a writer called uh, Kenneth Niemand. I hope I've got that right. He's been writing some dreads, uh, and he's he, he introduced a character called Noam Chimsky a while back. He's a character I've absolutely loved. Uh, and he's recently had his own solo series. And basically, he's, a, he's an augmented chimp, but he's a detective for his block. And he's awesome. Uh, and now he's got a solo series, which has ended up with him being in space for reasons you'd have to read the comic to find out. Uh, and then Kenneth was also had also written um, a two-episode strip for the magazine, uh, which was doubly brilliant because it was um, drawn by a friend of the show, Ian Richardson. Uh, and what I've realised, what I like about Kenneth's writing is um, he's creating these background characters much like the ones that I used to love in the kind of 70s and 80s that just were at times better than Dread. So you had people like Max Normal and and um, mm. Bix Barton and Walter the Robot and all the rest of it. And so um, 
the characters he's invented for the mega uh, zine strip and also for Noam Chimsky are just brilliant and I love these characters and um, well, Noam Chimsky is possibly the, the best, best character 2008 has had in, in years well, Dredd's the ultimate straight man, really. Yeah, isn't yeah. He? Is, is the ultimate no-nonsense, no-humour kind of person. So to have a foil, as you said, to these side characters, is, it's a perfect opportunity to bring someone like that. Yeah. But rather than just dark and gritty and grim dank all the time. Yeah, but it's just, it's just great. It just reminds me of the kind of, the kind of stories that I, I loved in Dredd and 2000 AD when I, when I was a kid. I think very recently I've been I've been saying about how it's just not as wild as it used to be and and out there and it's a little bit kind of stayed and a bit kind of safe and a bit kind of like playing to the sky atlantic kind of um reader viewer uh but mm-hmm. kenneth just seems to go ah, that's not it's 1979 i'm gonna have a an augmented chimp that wears a uh, one of those hats with the propellers on the top and he's gonna solve crimes better than judge dread can uh, <laughs> and i'm loving it it's brilliant i absolutely adore it um but this um this character he invented, Bob, for the the magazine strip, is brilliant. And I'm like, and it ends on a on a kind of a cliffhanger that he's kind of there in the background. And I'm like, yeah, I want more stories with Bob. Uh, basically, I can just read Bob and Noam Chimsky stories till the cows come home. And I'm loving them. Cool. <laughs> so check out 2013 with Noam Chimsky. Yeah, Noam Chimsky's got his own solo series at the moment. Um, which is great, and it's. Re- uh, but the other brilliant thing about it is that those the Noam Chimsky stuff's all been drawn by PJ Holden, uh, who I can't still can't understand why he isn't an absolute superstar because I just love his artwork. Because for me, it's that pinnacle of um, of the art that I like. It's very con- it's it's cartoony, but not cartoony in a way. It's it's just beautifully drawn, immaculate draftsmanship, uh, and and full of character. You know, it, it's it's great. I love it. And obviously, the, the lot think, of stuff was done by Ian, who's a genius as well. Yeah, I think 2008 is getting a new regen issue shortly. I think so. And we've just we've just had one build. a couple of a couple just of one. progs back, so the next one's probably due. Uh, they're kind of quarterly. Quarterly's four, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're quarterly. So the next one's due in a couple of months. How about yourself, Ryan? What have, you, what have you been up to? What static things have you? What have you been blowing up with static electricity? <laughs> I haven't been that static, to be honest. I've been more of a giant slug sitting on a sofa. <laughs> um, mainly due for two things. Uh, first is I finally finished watching Man Down, which is the Greg Davis sitcom. Well, is it a sitcom? It, it feels like an anarchy comedy. It's a comedy drama. <laughs> Yeah, it's a comedy drama. Really worth checking out. It's on net on Netflix and on all four. Uh, absolutely superb. Just completely insane. Rasheen Connerty, um, Michael Wozniak, Rick Mail, just the entire cast. Mrs. McCluskey plays his mom, if you ever watched Grange Hill back in the day. It's just completely insane, and I really do recommend it if you haven't watched it. But mostly it's been Mass Effect Legendary Edition because I haven't respelled it properly for the UK audience. <laughs> and uh, Lee put a video up for this a while ago, looking at the original classic version. But I've been having lots of fun playing through the original Mass Effect, but in shiny 4K edition. So it looks shiny. It looks great. It's They fixed a lot of things, even though the inventory is still awful. But it's still got one of the greatest sci-fi 
RPG game stories of all time. And it's the world winning and it's awesome. If you ever played any of the old Bioware games, like Knights of the Old Republic, it's the similar kind of vein, but their own franchise. And they've also teased Mass Effect 4, I've seen as well now, which is very interesting because it seems like the Andromeda spin-off is dead in the water. But they've, the, I think Bioware's come out and said it, Mass Effect 4 is going to pick up both Mass Effect Andromeda and Mass Effect 4 in a new storyline that have impacts from both. Yeah, I'm trying to think where that got so, teased. It was a while ago. I think it was at some point. Like, <clears throat> it's probably some, yeah, I think some it was a few months something back. in like last summer, in the just mess of summer game announcements last year, which all kind yeah. of meant three months of announcements just all blurred together and you just lost track of everything. <laughs> I think it was for N7 Day, because I have probably right there. That's yeah, that's um, Commander Shepard's classification in the game. But November 7th is always like a Mass Effect community day where they drop stuff like the Legendary Edition trailer and they probably dropped Mass Effect 4 there as well. So very interesting. I look forward to seeing how that's going to work. It's really complicated. But uh, other than that, being captured with the Blacklist, uh, I think it's barreling towards its final few episodes at the moment on Sky Atlantic or Sky One. One of the two. It's on Sky now TV is how we watch Sky it. Sky One. Sky One. There we go. But it's it's uh, it's fantastic. And um, James Spader is just absolutely amazing in it and he steals every single scene that he's in. And the rest of the characters are kind of just there just to make that he has somebody to talk to. Uh, James Spade is absolutely fantastic in it. Now you're watching it from the start, Keith. I've been watching it for years, yeah. Um, and they they kind of pussyfoot around sometimes, and you kind of wish they'd just cut to the chase. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's great. Tr- not trash telling, but it, 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 I watch it like I watched Miami CSI, just because that central performance yeah. is so commanding, and like whatever nonsense is going on around him. James Spader just sells it, and he's ace. Yeah, uh, it always feels like a bit like a. It could be a comic book to me, the way the show oh, is, yeah. because some of the stuff that happens is so outlandish. Yeah, it you wouldn't expect it to happen in real life, but it just works. It's, it's kind of funny as well because quite a few episodes uh, are directed by Andrew McCarthy, who's another one of those kind of like brat packer um, geezers. Mm-hmm. Which is, you just think this is just kind of yeah. amusing. This is uh, James Spader being directed by the geezer from whatever it is, Sixteen Candles or Pretty in Pink or whatever, yeah. whichever movie Andrew McCarthy's in. I, I, I was going to say Mannequin, but that's not his best film. But that was the only kind of one I could definitely remember he's in. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I urge you to check it out if you do like that kind of spy. I wouldn't say it's a drama. Is it a drama? It, ha- it has lots of moments. It has thriller, drama, quite a lot of comedy. More, more from Jane Spader's excellent performance. Yeah, and a, and lots of people being shot. Yeah, and that yeah. too. If that that or, or tortured, or uh, <laughs> lo- yeah. loads of different things. Yeah, it's great. It's good. It's good fun. And and mm-hmm. and the, the Martian Manhunters in it as well. Yes. Um, which is kind of good. And uh, well, the other good thing is if you watch it from the beginning, you can watch, there's a character called Wrestler who has got the greatest driving skills uh, of all time. So if you're watching this on video, you'll see I'm going to demonstrate Wrestler's driving when he does it. He's got better over the years. I think somebody's told him. But he used to drive with such a way that like he, the, the background would be clearly going down a straight road. 
and obviously acting they were having to look at each other but he'd drive by wobbling his hands from side <laughs> to side so you could see that he was he was in a car but he just you think you're going to run off the road at any point because you <laughs> one you're not looking at the road you're talking to liz in the seat next to you but also you driving by wiggling the wheel from left to right constantly uh, and it used to bug the heck out of me <laughs> Yeah. He's got better. It has been interesting to watch uh, Megan Boone's acting skills actually start to develop <laughs> over the last few seasons as well. Uh, who plays Liz, who's like the other central character. Um, <laughs> to be fair, she's she's a bit wooden for the first four seasons. I'd the say. best episode like, she's been in to... are the ones where she's not there and it's just a it's somebody standing in for her and you're only seeing her from the back. Those are the best episodes <laughs> she's been in. <laughs> Yeah, she's not. She's not. She's not the most convincing. But then you're up against James Spader, so I yeah. don't think it's fair to to criticise. Yeah. Well, talking of mannequins, it kind of <laughs> comes full circle, doesn't it? So, uh, coming up on today's show, anyway, we'll be talking all things E3 with Lee leading the piece on that. Um, lots of lots of game announcements and trailers and stuff that Lee has unfortunately had to sit through multiple hours with. Uh, and we'll also be talking the first episode of Loki uh, on Disney Plus as well now. But uh, we'll be back shortly. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute. See what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Rummy Podcast. So after a gap of a year, the Electronics Entertainment Expo, a.k.a. E3, has returned. It had been cancelled last year due to COVID and the pandemic. Uh, it's been an online-only event this year, and we've had lots and lots of stuff from Microsoft, Nintendo, Capcom, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Warner Brothers, Square Enix, Gearbox, Bandai Namco, Verizon, Exceed Games, Sega. It's just more, more names than possible to list. And we also had Jeff Keighley's little spin-off. Yeah, there was the Summer there. Games Fest, which kicked off on the 10th. So it was the Thursday before mm-hmm. E3. But as far as I'm concerned, that was the beginning of E3. Considering if yeah. you go onto the Summer Games Fest website, he was claiming like the Xbox E3 showcase was part of the Summer Games Fest. It's like, well, all right, well, you're part of E3 now. <laughs> if you're going to do that, yeah. fair's fair. Because he dropped that in last year because there was no E3. So Jeff Keighley, in his infinite wisdom of how can I shield some more Mountain Dew and Doritos over the gap, launched his Summer Games Fest. No, 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 it's it's Chinese mobile games he's pushing now. (laughs) As a Chinese mobile games he's produced. And bands from the 90s and early 2000s. Um, But yeah, in fact, that's kind of where we can probably start with all of this because um, it was really the kickoff of E3 was... Summer Games Fest with uh, Jeff Keighley, uh, which was, like you said, it was last year brought in as a replacement for E3, but was basically ended up being everyone did a bunch of shows across three months and it was impossible to keep track of and it was all over the place. And sometimes those shows would just overlap and it was horrible. And that's why I'm glad E3 is back this year, just to condense it all into one weekend. Um, but yes, it, uh, they did the um, hour and a half to two hours i can't remember exactly but um yeah there was it was kind of a lot of different announcements not a lot of super interesting stuff because they they spent a lot of time just with a lot of filler um they spent 
a very long time talking about Call of Duty DLC, a very long time talking about like just showing off like here's some character models from Overwatch 2. We haven't got anything else to show you from Overwatch 2. <laughs> just here's a couple of character models that we've done. Uh, they had Ryan Reynolds show off a film that he's in. That was a waste of time because it looks like the cringiest thing in the world because it's, it's about gaming but like it's clearly been made by people who don't play video games. They've just seen like, oh, video games are popular. Let's make a movie about it. It's is that the same film we did a while ago where he like plays an NPC? Yes, and yeah. Yeah. Wakes I think it's us. the one that's been delayed like constantly. And it's called panic. Free Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there were a couple of like big announcements in there that sort of are worth looking at. So um, Borderlands is getting a very interesting spin-off. Because that was the thing that they led with, which is T- Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff about this, and it's following that same kind of ridiculously over the top humor. Yeah. But I've heard it's got fantastic voice cast they've got. Yes, this, and it's like a medievalish version of Borderlands. Yeah, so, but, but so basically, as I don't play Borderlands, but I do know that there's like a DLC for I think Borderlands Two, uh, which is yeah. like characters in a D and D setting. So. The character of Tiny Tina is like the DM for this this setting, but you actually play in their D&D game and it's narrated by the characters and stuff. And apparently the developers really enjoyed making that so much they decided we're just going to make that whole game. <laughs> and that's what this game is, um, which is why it's Tiny Tina's Wonderland specifically. Um, and in the trailer we saw like there was like dragons and, and things like that, but there's still apparently guns but they're probably magical yeah, guns, so, I would assume. I'm sure there was a shotgun I yeah. saw at the very start yeah. of that trailer. Um, but it's kind of interesting because, yeah, like you said, there's a, there's a, a very interesting cast because they've got Andy Samberg in there. Um, Ashley Birch is playing Tiny Tina again. Uh, I can't remember some of the other names that were listed, but I, because I just saw Andy Samberg and was just like, huh. And I, in my re- just while trying to react, I was trying to think of Lonely Island lyrics at that point, and I just ignored the remaining <laughs> remaining names that came up until Ashley Burt showed up. But um, yeah, like I've never played Borderlands. I've never kind of been into that sort of. I think like the humor kind of just bounces off me, and it's like a big central thing with it. It's like in the trailer for Borderlands, you see the butt stallion unicorn show up. I'm just like, oh yeah, funny, okay. <laughs> it's uh, Borderlands. I've, I've played all the Borderlands and uh, with, with friends, and it is it is that like it is very much all about the humour. But uh, so obviously Tiatina is a big character in Borderlands Three, and just she was by far one of the most standout sort of characters. And the quests she got you to do were just incredibly fun. Um, and I think it's just I'm really looking forward to it because it, it's. It's obviously the Borderlands formula is kind of there, but the fact they've actually kind of branching out into this and they're really sort of leaning into the like her character um, because she kind of gave a lot of sort of freshness to the formula, if that makes sense, in Borderlands mm-hmm. Three. So really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. It is definitely an interesting idea. I probably will never play it, but I, <laughs> I, I appreciate what they're doing with it. So. I've just checked; it's got Will Arnett and Wanda Sykes it. in it as well. So. So, so go for the W's. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds like it's a good starting cast, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then, like, they cut to um, Hideo Kojima, and just Jeff Keighley had a nice little chat with Hideo Kojima about uh, 
and I love that I love that whole exchange because it started with him going so how's it going in Japan and and Kojima was just like there's a state of emergency Jeff (laughs) 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 no one's been vaccinated yet Jeff (laughs) sort of like you feel like the the sort of vibe of just like look just because you're in California where everyone can get a vaccination right now (laughs) maybe don't be this cheerful about the guy in Japan (laughs) But I'm just waiting to see what comes out of Hideo Kojima's twisted mind about this pandemic because you know he's got to be thinking of his next weird I guess game. Death was already kind of about it. If you're going to look at it, he was already yeah. predicting it. Um, just this world where no one can go outside because it's too dangerous and everyone has to rely on delivery drivers. That's basically all Death Stranding is. And at the time, it was like, oh, that seems like a far fetched idea. And then a month or two after playing it, I was like, oh, wait, now this is reality now. Um, <laughs> but, but, then, but then they showed like the weirdest trailer for what is Death Stranding Director's Cut, which I think is basically just a PS5 version of the game that hopefully will remove things, not add things. <laughs> um, is that Death Stranding? Please buy this game. We spent so much in it from Sony. Yeah, and, but like the trailer was so weird because it was like, it was Norman Reedus in Metal Gear. And I don't know what they were doing with that trailer. So like you, you sort of, he's like standing on this like um, walkway above this warehouse type thing. And the way that the boxes and things are arranged is very much a Metal Gear level. And there's guards there patrolling around. Like, he looks over at a vent and there's a rat running into the vent, just like there was in, like, the original Metal Gear to indicate you can crawl in there. And then, like, he he climbs into a box and then gets back out the box and puts the box back on the shelf. And that's the trailer. (laughs) It was so weird, wasn't it? Because, like, the way the box falls on the floor, so it's the traditional... Because I was expecting him to go under the box like it would have been. (laughs) Yeah. But then the whole thing of, like, silently just gets in the box sits there for a minute like a weird cat and then gets out and he's like what what why is this this bears no relation to anything maybe the fetus is naked snake (laughs) and it's all just been attached to it's all been a metal (laughs) (laughs) that stranding is the extended trailer the extended playable trailer yeah um i wouldn't be surprised if if you tried to tie those two franchises together (laughs) Even though Konami are probably like, mm, no, that's ours. Yeah, Konami won't. Konami won't let. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like there was a lot of like sort of filler stuff then, um, but towards the end of the show, they did show off the first bit of gameplay for the Evil Dead game that they've got, um, and it's basically just Dead by Daylight with extra steps, because um, like you've got like characters from the Evil Dead franchise, although everyone's obviously going to want to play Ash, but. There are plenty of other characters you can play. <laughs> um, I'm not familiar with the Evil Dead franchise, so I don't recognise anyone but Ash. So, um, but then you've got like obviously a, another player can play like a demon or something. But then there's also zombies that are just in the level, and you can actually fight, unlike in Dead by Daylight. And it really is like they just took that central concept and went. But what if there was more action in it? And you were just constantly killing zombies in it. It's it's a weird one. I'm, Sounds a very interesting concept. Yeah, I'd, I'd be more interested if it was continuing the story that was set up in the Ash versus Evil Dead TV series, because mm. that ends that ends with a massive cliffhanger that we know now is is never going to be resolved. 
because um, they're not going to come back to that series. So I would have liked the game to have perhaps took us into that because it ends in a similar fashion to Army of Darkness with Ash in the future in a kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max type environment. And where this game just seems to be, you know, it's a bit random. It's it, it doesn't even look like fistful of boomstick, mm. you know, in terms of in terms of there. It's okay. You've got a couple of the characters from the Ash versus Evil Dead thing, and I mean anything with Bruce Campbell in, it's like I'm a sucker for that man. It's like <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, you it know, feels very much like we wanted to make Dead by Daylight, but we need to have enough distinction, so we'll just slap an existing IP over the top. Yeah, thing. but if, if it's voiced by Bruce and you can play as Ash and you're just going around shooting things with a shotgun and cutting them in half with a chainsaw, uh, I'm probably in. It, it is definitely Bruce Campbell, like because he actually narrated yeah. the trailer. So yeah, but as long as he plays him, his, himself throughout the whole game, then yeah, then that, that, yeah that that'll be all right. It is. It is a bit disappointing though, because obviously a lot of that's what a lot of the comments were saying, like saying, oh, it would have been great if it carried on from the um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead sort of series. But also, like, it's kind of annoying because the game does look quite pretty and it would be nice to have a proper Evil Dead game where it's kind of, you know, over the shoulder, kind of um, evil within type gameplay, but it's got the humour of evil dead you know mm-hmm. i think there is a market for that whereas doing the whole you know one versus four is just kind of been done to death i mean it, it, when i watched it it looked quite a lot like um what uh, was bundled in with resident evil 3 mm-hmm. um same kind of thing where you play the ai director like yeah against it like never did yeah yeah so i just disappointed <laughs> but it might be amazing who knows it would be good if there was a game mechanic where you could just avoid fighting but part of it would be mm. as ash williams just go no i'm not doing this i'm going to the pub <laughs> and i'm gonna get wrecked and now you could just avoid the whole game you just go no until the deadites come and get me i'm not i'm not putting up with this anymore i don't want i don't want to be the savior of humanity that would be fine you could you could spend half the game avoiding conflict um but yeah the um the big announcement of summer games fest though was elden ring which of course is the highly anticipated um dark souls written by george rr R. martin game um so it'll never w- finish <laughs> probably uh, it does have a release date though so which is more than you can say for any of george rr R. martin's yeah. books right now <laughs> um but uh like the thing about this game like everyone was like clamoring for more information about this acting like it had been announced like in like 2015 or something we hadn't heard anything since but it's like it was two years ago it was the last e3 that was the that was when we got the teaser for it and then so i don't quite understand like i know how how much people love dark souls and and all that but i just feel like it, could, it kind of the hype around it seemed a bit excessive to me for some reason but then again i'm coming from the perspective of someone who has never played a dark souls game or anything from FromSoft. so to me they're just games where you walk around with a short small sword and you hit things with big swords mm-hmm. and die <laughs> a lot yeah so much oh it's, it's a bit frustrating because i i love I've played them. I'm terrible at them. I, I can't play them. Um, but I love their sort of style, like the setting, the, the the whole sort of like world building they do is amazing. I just can't play the games because I'm a baddie and I do not 
I'm stubborn as well. I can't be bothered to spend time trying to get good. <laughs> yeah, the, the closest they, I've they ever played to a Dark Souls is Code Vein, and that's not even from Soft. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they should do like a casual mode for people who can't actually spend the time. Oh, to let's play not Dark get into Souls. this discussion, Ryan, because that just that sets the internet <laughs> on fire. <laughs> I, I want to see the angry Twitter, angry comments. It's engagement, Lee. It's engagement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's one that looks always looks pretty, but never really appeals mm. to me. And it always looks that grim, dank. Everything's horrible. Yeah. The, the only like soft specific game that has sort of appealed to me has been Bloodborne, which is currently sitting on my PS4 hard drive unplayed. Because I got it for PlayStation Plus, and it's just been there ever since. Um, just because that's got like the Victorian setting and the Eldritch Horror kind of vibes, which I kind of prefer to the dark fantasy stuff that, of the Dark Souls games. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about the setting of Elden Ring, but I do think a lot of the enemy designs in that trailer were just insane in in a really gruesome but excellent way. Like the one guy towards the end who's just got arms coming out of arms, and it's just bizarre. <laughs> but um, after Summer Games Fest, we moved into E3 itself, and we had Ubisoft, um, which was just largely dire. <laughs> it was mostly <laughs> like. I mean, you had Far Cry 6, which is the same as Far Cry 3, yeah. and Far Cry 4, and Far Cry but, 5. But see the. And Far Cry New Dawn. I mean, they, we got to see like Ali G introduce a new DLC for Far Cry Six even before it's out, um, where like you get to sort of experience what it's like to be the villains in Far Cry, and uh, you know, I mean, Ubisoft understand what it's like to be villains, considering you know <laughs> the fact that they're currently going to be in court over all the sexual abuse allegations that they <laughs> that came out. But you know. Um, yeah, like to, there was Rainbow Six Extraction as yeah, well, Rainbow Six which Extraction, was Rainbow's which used to be called, which was originally announced as Rainbow Six Quarantine, Quarantine but then something happened that meant they had to change that name. <laughs> 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 Suddenly, it became slightly tasteless to call it Quarantine. Uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, I don't even know who that's for, to be honest, because it's like it's Rainbow Six, but also aliens, and isn't it? Isn't it for those people who are getting finally bored of Rainbow Six Siege after it's been out for like 10 years and just played the same three maps over and over again? But like, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's ta it's like a tactical military shooter, but it's got all these aliens in it. And I'm just like, if you're looking for like a sci-fi shooter, it's probably not what you're looking for. But if you're looking for a tactical yeah. military shooter, you probably don't want to be fighting aliens. And I just don't understand who it's... <laughs> do you think it's trying to get like the division crowd and oh, what's what's that horrible game series where alien XCOM that's kind of like XCOM plus the division merged together into something pretty awesome yeah. I mean the thing that got me in, in all of that is that you're supposed to be going to these places to sort of extract all the, the aliens and, and try and reclaim these areas but there's infrastructure already built in there like clearly by like the previous teams and you're just like okay what's going on here? <laughs> i feel like there was a missed opportunity there where you could have actually like set up the infrastructure yourself as part of the the gameplay but it's clearly just already there and you're like okay well are we are, are yeah. we sure we're the first team to sort of jump in and do all this 
My favorite part about all when the developers were talking about afterwards is just like it's got all your favorite operators from Siege. I'm just like, oh, is I supposed to recognize who these generic military people are? <laughs> <laughs> but this one's wearing a balaclavaly. Uh, it's completely different to the one wearing a hoodie. This, this uh, one's got green hair. <laughs> yeah. So now they launched Rocksmith Plus as well, which seems to be mm. ruining Rocksmith, which is. Basically, it's Rocksmith was kind of one of those weird not a game games that they released a. Yeah, it was like the... it was like Guitar Hero, but like it was you had the buttons on the thing sort of resembled an actual guitar more. I think you could use a proper actual well, guitar. Well, with this, I think you with this new one, an actual guitar. You, it's there is no peripheral for it. You do have to use an actual guitar, and I think like it hooks yeah. up to your phone and it sort of records your like what you're playing. Yeah. And stuff. Um, it's, so I remember having the original Rocksmith on my 360 and it was a USB to quarter-inch jack and then you could plug a proper guitar in mm-hmm. and it was supposed to teach you how to play. And it did for a while and then I got bored <laughs> and never, never went back to it. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it did look kind of interesting and there was a, an interesting selection of music that I noticed, like Weird Al Yankovic's Saga Begins just stood out. <laughs> it I was just like, ah, that's, a, that's an interesting job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does seem to be they're re- ru- ruining it a little bit because the whole point of the original Rocksmith was you bought the game and that was it and then you buy any song packs. Where this seems to be they've taken their Just Dance model. Which is, this is a subscription, this one. So. Yeah, subscription fee. Mm-hmm. So you have to pay to have access to anything outside the core song list, mm-hmm. which is a bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always quite interesting because, uh, again, with the, the original Rocksmith, it's that kind of... It's, it's a nice idea in principle, you know, you get to, you're playing a game, but you're also learning how to do something. But fundamentally, if gamers think they're learning stuff, they automatically don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just want to mash the five buttons on, on the Guitar Hero and just pretend they're a god. They don't want to learn to be a god. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You get a guitar, you learn to smoke on the water, and that's it for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> or for the truly lazy Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. <laughs> or any of status quo's back catalogue <laughs> I still remember when someone mocked up a trailer for Guitar Hero status quo and it comes with an attachment it's basically duct tape that covers up two of the buttons because you won't be using it <laughs> <laughs> and also it's launching on the ZX Spectrum which still loads faster than the PS3 version <laughs> definitely um yeah, also in the Ubisoft thing, they showed off the new Mario and Rabbids game. Um, the first one, which was an idea that shouldn't have worked, but absolutely did. You know, the, uh, the on paper, a tactical RPG with Mario and Ubisoft's minions was on paper like, this sounds terrible. Why would anyone play this? And then you played it and it's like, oh, no, it's actually a really good tactical RPG. What the hell? <laughs> um, so it, it does look kind of interesting. They're doing with the sequel because it's they've tied it more with like Super Mario Galaxy and your planet hopping and naturally there's a rabid Rosalina who they decided is going to be really emo just because of Rosalina's haircut <laughs> <laughs> I always feel so sorry for Rayman because like mm-hmm. it was a Rayman game to start yeah. off with rabbits and he just seems to be completely forgotten yeah. just dumped by Ubisoft in favour of Anarchic rabbits. Yeah, there needs to be more Rayman because he hasn't been seen for a while. I think the last game was like 2013 or something like that. Oh, maybe we'll see him at the court. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, he is all hands. Yeah. <laughs> Infinite reach on yeah, him as yeah. well. Very, very dodgy in an office situation. Um, yeah, so maybe that's why they've kept him quiet for so long. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I do like the look of it, but it's just because it's purely a Ubisoft product. And at the moment, I'm just like, I'm not giving them any money right now. Um, and then they Ubisoft decided to close their big one more thing was an Avatar game. You know, because that's a franchise that people but, still care about. The big multi-movie franchise, which just still only got one movie in it. <laughs> that, that franchise, yeah. But, it, but I mean, we are we are about to get two more films in the next year, uh, the next four, because there are going to be he's, he's filming yeah. four right right now. So we we are going to be deluged with Avatar content. Um, but, but yeah, uh, but right. I want my Fern Gully the game first. <laughs> Give me that. Avatar's fascinating. Well, isn't it? Avatar's fascinating yeah. because it's like it was this huge success when it came out, and it's left literally no cultural impact. You know, it's no one's like making movies that were like, oh man, I saw Avatar and I was like super inspired by it. It's been 10 years and no one's made a movie inspired by Avatar. And it, it only comes up in conversation for people to say like, oh man, remember Avatar? Because I really don't. I don't remember anything that happened in that movie. <laughs> When, oh, after after, after Avatar, everything was 3D for a little bit, and then they realised, yeah. oh yeah, it's still a shit concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing is they're going to have a problem with is Pandora is now kind of well known for Borderlands, mm -hmm. and if you're having a gun game on a planet called Pandora, mm -hmm. I can see a lot of people walking out with a copy of Borderlands instead of Avatar from from the retailer of choice. <laughs> I think it's it's the confidence in which they said like it's the, the avatar game you've all been waiting for. It's like is it? <laughs> like, was anyone waiting for this? <laughs> James Cameron. Yeah, that's that's the audience. He's, James Cameron. He's a bit he's a bit bored in his underwater sub, so he, he wants to have a relief break by playing the avatar game once down there. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and it, the thing is though, from everything I can tell with it, it's basically just Far Cry Pandora edition. Because it's going to be first person, and it's going to be like you're surviving in the wild, and it's like oh, so it's Far Cry then. Yeah, it's an open world map game from Ubisoft. We haven't oh, seen man. any of those for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's why we haven't seen either Rayman or Splinter Cell out of Ubisoft for a while because you can't retroactively fit the open world structure to either of those franchises because it just ru it ruins them dramatically. Yeah. But, but yeah, so. Not really a great E3 showing from Ubisoft. No, no. I mean, we had some better showings from the platform holders, um, but uh, we can probably split that into the second half. Yep. So uh, take a little break there, and then we'll come back with some Loki chat. I know what this place is. The timekeepers have built quite the circle. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do 
I get a weapon? Nah. You really believe in this Loki variant? Luckily, he believes in himself enough for the both of us. It's adorable that you think you could possibly manipulate me. You can trust me. Loki, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. Why never do it again? Spoilers will abound in this segment, but after the events of Avengers Endgame, if you've not watched that yet, while you're listening to this show, because that's pretty much all we've been talking about is Marvel for the last four years. But um, after the events of Avengers, Avengers Endgame, um, we have a new Loki on the block. So we have a time variant, and this seems to be the kicking point off of the multiverse of madness going forward in the Marvel Universe. Uh, but the first episode of, of event, bleh, first episode of Marvel's Loki, or is it just Loki? One of the two. Marvel Studios is Logan. There you go. That's what I thought. Has appeared on Disney Plus, so we thought we'd give you a bit of a review. So it's come from Michael Waldron, who's also wrote the script for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of time, and I think he's running, being showrunner on this one. So um, we have Tom Hiddleston back. We have Owen Wilson, who hasn't said wow yet in the first episode, which was a shock for me, and. Really strong cast with Tara Strong, Sasha Lane, Sophie Martino, Eugene Cordero. Some really good, strong characters coming through. Um, I was left whelmed by the first episode. It, it felt like it should have done probably a double open, because the first episode was just Basil Exposition with Owen Wilson. And like, oh, let's just explain the entire concept of this show and then have no action in it until the very last three seconds. So it was session zero of the D game that is Loki. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Keith, your opinions on it? Uh, I was more whelmed than you were, quite obviously. Uh, I really liked it, <laughs> mostly because um, it was good the way they took the Loki of Avengers. Uh, and fast-forwarded him to the Loki of um, the first few seconds of uh, Infinity War uh, with that character development. And um, Hiddleston so easily inhabits that character um, that he took him from the kind of pantomime villain that, that, he, that he was when he kind of first appeared in the Marvel Universe uh, and just whizzed him through that development by showing him the future that wasn't his um, and it's it's quite clearly set him up as a very tragic character because he will not live that life, um, which is which is really interesting because of his time variance nature. Is that um, he's he's not he's not going to live that life. It was lived by another version of him. Um, and I kind of like that way it's setting up this idea that, in a sense, it's almost going to free him uh, to to be something else, a Loki we've not seen before. Uh, and a Loki that may be more genuinely the god of mischief um, because he did, he wasn't really that mischievous most of the time um, when we've seen him before. But I liked I liked his character arc in the films, and I think this is a chance for Hiddleston to really hit that um, depth of character that Loki has, has exhibited in the comics over a long period of time. Um, he, he isn't kind of like your typical... Um, Villain, which again is in a similar way to uh, how Zemo was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
uh, the, the villains just have a little bit more these these series villains just seem to have a little bit more nuance and depth than um, the kind of movie villains were a bit more kind of um, straight up but Owen Wilson yeah I, I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of Owen Wilson from his days when he was doing stuff with uh, Wes Anderson and you know uh, Shanghai Noon uh, great movies both of them and excellent uh, playing up against Steve Coogan in the Night, um, Night at the Museum trilogies uh, so yeah I like it I mean they just established it and then badass characters that take no monkey business from Loki straight away I mean that slow motion swack across the face was just he's just brilliant it's like yeah you, this, this is happening from us in slow motion but like you're feeling every second of it uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of those characters and also they've uh, they've history that yeah um, you kind of wonder, you know, are these going to be the similar characters to what they are in the comic stories, or are they going to play a different role? Um, so it's kind of interesting. I did, I did kind of like the uh, the draw full of Infinity Stones. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, everybody just uses a paperweight around it. Yeah, they don't work out of their own reality, which I kind of think we'd just, they'd established elsewhere in the Marvel Marvel universe yeah. at some point. But yeah. It's different to WandaVision. It's different to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And um, the 51 minutes or whatever it is that it was zipped along like so quickly. I was like, oh, I've got to wait a week. And I like I like that having to wait a, wait a week. It makes me kind of like go savor it so much more. And it seems to have picked up that same kind of Ragnarok humor to the show where it's kind of a lot of physical comedy has slipped its way in the background. Yeah. And Tadleston's great for that. But um, the one thing that I do really like the concept of, and I think hopefully they'll go with it, is that Loki can change his appearance and stuff like that. And it also allows them to mess around with variants where we could have Lady Loki, for example, who's been in the comics, and other alternative variants of Loki and not just restricted to having Tom Hiddleston in the character all the time and i suppose it allows for them to do a lot of stuff with the multiverse coming up where they can recast and replace yeah although the multiverse is not a good place to get to because it's a no. mess and we don't yeah. want to be doing that because the tva are going to be very upset if we keep making yeah. branches <laughs> it's like it's not good unless of course you do it because it's supposed to do it which i thought was the best get out of jail card for the avengers <laughs> where, where loki yeah. goes uh, what about the Avengers doing kind of this? Stuff? No, that was supposed to happen. I was like, brilliant. So, yeah. so it, as plot-wise, it works. If within the logic of your own story, it's supposed to happen. That just, I love. I just, yeah. that's like, how do we get out of this idea that we've done time travel? Just right in. That yeah. was supposed to happen. Brilliant. That's it. That's end of story. We've we've, we've solved it. It reminded me a lot of if you've read Terry Pratchett, the Time Monks, <laughs> and Lautsey. Yeah. And that kind of the Thief of Time book, it felt very similar to that kind of thread where you've got, what's his face, playing the God of Time as a kid, and then he gets brought up by a time-travelling monk. It felt kind of, this is similar kind of inspiration for the story. And it is one of those stories that's been done to death multiple times with time travel. But yeah, I think they're taking a nice bit of a uniqueness with the variant situation on this one. Yeah, and I, I like the whole setup of the TVA as well when they look out the window and there's like there's this other world that we're probably never going to touch on. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I, I really enjoyed that first episode. 
Yeah, I think Owen Wilson has said is definitely one of the highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee, I'm assuming you won't have watched it because it has Marvel written above the name. <laughs> All right. Matt, have you been tempted to watch it yet? Uh, I am. It's on my list. Um, so I'm going to start watching it quite as soon as possible. But I think it's... Uh, like I said about uh, about WandaVision, I I like the sort of more non-conventional Marvel um, sort of experimental sort of series, that kind of thing. And I think Loki is going to be, I'm going to quite enjoy it. Um, again, like you guys said, I do enjoy how Tom Hiddleston sort of um, portrays Loki. And I like how, again, the writing and that kind of thing, it's... They're very self-aware, but they're also leaning into this, like, we are going with this vibe. Um, because I think one thing that I kind of lost interest with Bond Division was towards the end, I think the last episode especially, was very stereotypical Marvel, flying around everywhere, explosions, that kind of thing. But I'm hoping this is going to be a bit more, it's action, but it's less jarring, I guess, than how they've portrayed the rest of the series so i am i am really looking forward to it um the only thing is i time travel always confuses me in any any form they try i know obviously they're explaining it in certain ways but to me time travel just always melts my brain (laughs) so (laughs) there's a really good bit which reminds me of the cartoon in Jurassic Park of when he first arrives at the TVA, which might help for that situation. Okay. And it, it it's one of the nicest bits of the show, I think, and I'm not really spoiling it, but it's 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 a great little five minute, like separate little short slapped in the middle of the thing. Yeah, and it's the, the timekeepers, they introduce the concept of the timekeepers. Um, which mm. could potentially nod to other characters further down the line that could cause problems with the avengers but i think i don't think it's too much of a problem with the time travel time travel probably isn't quite what it is because it's Mm. because it's variants it's probably splinters so it's things that happened that shouldn't so it's not it won't be time travel per se so it won't be kind of like going back to things so it's almost like in some ways it reminded me a little bit of quantum leap with Loki being the TVA's Sam Beckett and correcting stuff in, in a sense. So I wonder if that would I mean, work. You say that, Viv said the Pauls reminded her very much of Quantum Leap when Ziggy comes yeah. there. The, 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 the opening the door in the lab and, and going into Sam's. Yeah, it? yeah there was, a, I think there's a, I think Hiddleston has that, that sense about him. Because what I like about Loki as a character as well is that people think of him as this self-assured arrogant like think person but he's not he's 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 a character who is that's a that's a front because he's very self-conscious of the fact that he was adopted by odin and they kind of rub it in a little bit in this episode where they call him by they call him loki laufrey which is his his Mm -hmm. his, um ice um god's um name rather than loki odinson and, and it's kind of like it, it makes him you know he's he's one of those characters that is very uncertain of himself and it's all front to kind of make him um you know he's doing things and he's like why am i doing this what what why why you know he very it just comes across yeah. in that episode that he's not 
um, you know, he's he's a different character to to um, what we think. Like, I know, I'm looking forward to that journey of how Loki finds his way. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Matt and Keith, with WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier, it, it's actually going, I think we get a lot of depth and we're going to get a lot of backstory for characters that have not been as fairly served with the franchise over time. Mm. I mean, if you think about Loki, he, all right, he had some decent screen time in the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie, but since then he's kind of been more of a backside character a lot. So I think definitely having some information about what he's been up to, etc., and having some character development, even though it's not the Loki that we used to from the movie side, would really help. Yeah. Same with the Falcon, same with the Winter Soldier, where we've had piecemeal bits of their story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely be revisiting it later on and see after a few more episodes how it gets on. Yeah, I think if you've got any any love for the the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and good storytelling, and um, I know there's a large proportion of the of the uh, viewing public who like Tom Hiddleston, uh, and he does get his kit off at one point, um, <laughs> very briefly. There, there could be a moment he could freeze frame. Um, <laughs> I've not done it myself, so I can't I can't comment on on the content of that freeze game. But yeah, I mean you know. It, it's it's a it's a good fun movie um tv series so far well, one episode in there's another one's kind of dropped um yeah while we're recording and stuff but yeah but i mean i mean it's yeah. an easy sell to me i've got decades of history with all of these kind of characters and they've changed over comics time and i don't really mind that it's a it's a different storytelling thing as i always say tell me a good story with good performances shot well and i'm on i'm in, i'm on board you know it's, it's yeah. pretty good it's going to be interesting to see how Michael Waldron deals with it over the series because he's previously worked on I think he was a system writer on Community he's worked with Dan Harmon on Harmon Quest wrote an episode of Rick and Morty so is that kind of level of humour going to seep into Loki at some point yeah he'll just wipe out the entirety of existence and step into another universe altogether yeah. Oh, well, I've destroyed yeah. that universe. I'm just going to go to another one. That's fine. We'll just bury all the bodies yeah. under the patio. <laughs> yeah. Be interesting to see how it goes. Hello, and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week. Last week, there were two games of the week. The first of these was the indie game of the week, which was Chicory, A Colourful Tale. It's a top-down adventure game starring a dog with a magic paintbrush, setting out to bring colour to a world in dire need of it. Some of the staff on this game worked on Wonder Song, Night in the Woods, and Celeste, so it's already working with an excellent pedigree. Seriously, go play Celeste as well. Chicory looks adorable and promises some fun times with its central painting mechanics, and the soundtrack is almost certainly going to be gorgeous since Lena Rain is behind it. So for all that, it's Indie Game of the Week. Game of the Week overall last week was Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, or as I know it, the first game that makes me desperately wish I owned a PS5. The Ratchet and Clank series has always been excellent, and this new title looks set to be a return to form after a few weird multiplayer experiments and a remake hampered by the storytelling from the dire movie adaptation. It's promising more ridiculous weaponry across a galaxy that's now going to feel smaller thanks to dimensional rifts that will allow easy hopping between planets. 
plus a new playable character named Rivet that's already won people over even before people have seen her in action. And from all accounts it's a visual treat too, and one that shows off what the PS5 can do. Trailers are promising the series aimed to become a playable animated movie is now fully realised. I'm excited to play this, but getting a PS5 isn't easy right now, and that makes me sad. I will instead be jealous of everyone who gets to play this right now. The game of the week this week is Minute of Islands, a game that saw a surprise release during E3. It's a puzzle platformer set in a magical archipelago. You play as a tinkerer named Mo, who sets out on a journey to revive a series of machines that used to belong to ancient giants in an attempt to avoid an incoming calamity. It's got a gorgeous hand-drawn art style and promises an emotional story about what it means to do the right thing, and it just looks incredibly interesting. It's available for PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. Those are my games of the week for the past two weeks, and now, back to the main show. So E3 2021 Part 2, Gaming Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> so we covered off um, Summer Games Fest and the uh, Ubisoft, mm-hmm. soon to be court case yes. production <laughs> gaming studio in the first part. So do you want to give us an update on what else has happened so far? Well, partly? since we were just talking about Loki, we might as well jump in with um, the Marvel um, conference, sorry, the Square Enix conference. <laughs> Um, which was like a third of it was the Guardians of the Galaxy game that they announced Um, which between because of that and Avengers that means that both studios who've been developing Tomb Raider are now developing very bland looking Marvel games so I might be slightly upset Um, (laughs) um, and it killed Deus Ex off here yeah annoys me even more because they did two parts of a trilogy yeah like in my in my reactions i actually acknowledge the deus ex fans be like look i know that like deus ex fans got deus ex shoved out so that tomb raider could be made by idis montreal while crystal dynamics worked on avengers but now tomb raider has been shoved out as well so now i'm i'm in there with you and just being annoyed um (laughs) because first of all like i'm surprised that they're still doing avengers content because that game did not do well I assume it's they've spent that much on the franchise. It's the, a kind the only of way that I could, the only way that I think that this is carrying on is that maybe there's some sort of contractual obligation that they have to keep it going for like a year or something. That maybe like Disney have insisted it has to be a year at minimum, because I, as I understand it, Square Enix would have been in the red solely because of that game last year, if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII remake. Like those two were diametrically opposed in how successful they were. <laughs> so, and when you can, when you think about just how bad you can make a Marvel game sell, like that shows you just how badly yeah. they screwed up the Avengers. Because this is like riding off the back of like Endgame and all, and all that. And you'd think it would have been a success, but it hasn't been a success at all. So they decided to follow that on by doing Guardians of the Galaxy, which the only real difference between them, as far as I can tell, is that this one isn't a live service game. (laughs) It's a single player, I think, where you only play a Star Lord, which does give us some promise. But also that's that's a weird story because it's like it's about a team of characters, but you can only play one of those characters. And there's a lot I'm assuming DLC will come at some point where you can unlock them. But then like as a lot of people 
I noticed a lot of people were reacting to it, seemingly saying like, "Yeah," and it's not only that you can play just one of them, but it's the most boring one of them. <laughs> like you can't play as like Rocket or Groot or anything like that. So, you know, they had that. They had that whole kind of idea of like Mass Effect, and your choices throughout the game will change your uh, way of things. And then the demo they did was like, "We're going to put Rocket in the box, and then we're going to change our mind and put Groot in the box." Yeah, and it's like, well. I get the feeling these are just arbitrary decisions that won't actually impact yeah. on the way the game plays out at all. And that confused me especially because there were people saying like, oh, it reminds me of Mass Effect. And I'm like, did you play Mass Effect? Like, I know that I haven't finished the first one, but like, there's nothing in common here. Yeah. <laughs> it was just that allusion to it. Like, they're, oh, they're both in space. That's about the only thing they have in common. <laughs> They've also done that uncanny valley thing of like having them very similar yeah. to the MCU versions, yeah. but not at all. Yeah. It also worried me that in that presentation they dragged out Dan Abnett. And Dan Dan's not a guy for a, a lot of grandstanding. You know, he's written a lot of great comics over time. He's been responsible for a lot of Warhammer content, and he wrote a very, very good run of Guardians of the Galaxy comics. And I'm going to like, um, what? I'm not sure why you're dragging him out, because for one anybody that's already been burned by the Avengers is going to be highly dubious of a second game with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of like, you know, I don't know. I just looked at it and went, I'll just watch the films. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's fine. I'll read the comics. It's like, I can't see what I'm going to get out of the game um, that, mm-hmm. that, that is going to make me think, oh yeah, this is, this is worth the time. Yeah. wasn't. I think the rest of the presentation was just purely... Life is Strange and Final Fantasy. So they had a whole bunch of mobile games just clustered together. So there was about three different Final Fantasy mobile games. There was another Hitman Sniper mobile game. And I think there was something else. Um, the Life is Strange stuff. See, I am I do like Life is Strange. I'm interested in the, the new one. But the thing is, they'd already done a presentation going into it like a couple of months back. And I don't. See, it feels like the only reason it was here was to go, by the way, we're still releasing this in October, <laughs> you know. Um, and then they also had that. They had the Platinum Babylon's Fall. The live service. Yeah, like game. that was. Yeah. As soon as they said the words live service, I went, well, bye then. Because <laughs> like, I was interested Cause, cause... because it's Platinum, and Platinum have done a ton of really good games. You know, they've done Bayonetta and they did Metal Gear Rising and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, this would be interesting. But Lee, Godfall has gone so successful. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is the franchise of the future. Um, I like that, that with that one, they're getting so desperate, they're putting it on the PS4 as well, man, just to try and get it to sell more. <laughs> and it's like, maybe it's just maybe it was just bad. Maybe that's why it didn't sell. <laughs> um, but also at the Square Enix thing, they had the Final Fantasy Origin thing. And it's interesting that they're releasing a PS3 game uh, at this point, because, you know, <laughs> That's genuinely how it feels. <laughs> because you've got Gruff McBuzzcut as the main character, and then Pinkhead Anime Boy as his sidekick, and they clash so much <laughs> next to each other. And, like, it's it's Koei Tecmo. So it's it's like the Team Ninja people who also ruined Metroid with their, <laughs> with their seemingly doing the same thing for Final Fantasy 1. Um, and just most of it is just Gruff McBuzzcut like rip, headbutting wolves and going die already. And it's like that's not checked. Like this wasn't Final Fantasy. 
But if you think about that trailer, it's really jarring. It was like really soft, like classical music. And he's just there being like, I'm here to kill chaos. <laughs> and you just saw it, I don't. <laughs> but like, like I'm not sure. Sh- I'm really not sure how he feels about chaos, though, because I don't think that trailer was clear enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of think, like, just imagine about a networking event, like, hi, I'm Jeff, I work in IT, what about you? I'm here to kill chaos. <laughs> I see, chaos is expecting us. <laughs> it's not a dream, it's a hunger to kill chaos. And you're like, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's such a weird <laughs> choice. Like, I think it's going to be, like, DMC, Devil May Cry. In that it's going to be just embarrassing and yet weirdly fun to play, <laughs> but it's just embarrassing in every other aspect. The storytelling is going to be bad, and the aesthetic's going to be just like edgy yeah. late two thousands. <laughs> and after they release it, they will gently put it to the yeah. side, never to be mentioned yeah. again, well, and then just carry on the franchise. Get a completely well. different Final Fantasy prologue, like five years later. Yeah. They will pretend that that one never happened. <laughs> Yeah, because they're doing remastering one to six again as well. Yeah, but I've a horrible feeling that they're because they're not doing it as a collection, and I have a horrible feeling that some of them are going to be the mobile versions, which have like really killed the art styles of things like six. So yeah, um, I because they didn't show anything, and my immediate question is: it going to be the real versions or the mobile versions? And that's that's the real thing. Um, so yeah, Star Square Enix just not very good. Honestly, the best part of it was Matt Mercer trying his best to hold it all together and try and sound enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at least, you know, with E3, we did have the two platform holders who bothered showing up because <laughs> PlayStation <laughs> weren't there. Um, but Xbox and Nintendo both put on really, really good shows. Um, Xbox did the exact thing that I wish that all publishers would do which is they just went trailer 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 hopefully there's something in here that you like we're just going to bombard you with everything and hopefully you're going to like something in this and there definitely was stuff to like in there um there were at least two fallout in space games getting announced <laughs> so there's outer worlds 2 is definitely one outer of those worlds 2 and the starfield which is the new um bethesda the actual studios. I can never remember the actual the full title of the development studio, um, but it's Bethesda's kind of follow-up. Yeah, is it Bethesda Softworks or something? Stupid I think that's like that. what they, the publisher was called until it kind of has folded into Microsoft now. So now it's all yeah. the Xbox Game Studios. But you know, um, I mean, Starfield. I'm very excited mm-hmm. for because it will be a fantastically buggy mess, but in space this time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how many more years can we eke out of the creation engine come on one more game one more I game the thing that fascinated me though about, was like people who were really disappointed that they didn't talk about Elder Scrolls 6 and it's like they have been on record to say that they're working on Starfield first and once that's done then you get Elder Scrolls 6 but you know mm-hmm. I mean it's a bit hard to tell what, what to think of Starfield because it was just a CGI teaser but then so was Outer Worlds 2 as well. Although that one was a lot more fun. I've watched that one and that was more amusing because it was like, yes, it's an alpha and we have no footage. Yeah. So here's a here's a trailer with no I, footage. I really <laughs> that trailer. It was just like, and now we, we pan over this dramatic landscape and now everything's moving in slow motion so that it'll really get those pre-orders going. And here's the, <laughs> here's the main character in silhouette because we haven't actually designed them yet. <laughs> 
We can't show you any gameplay, but we do have a title. <laughs> I mean, I am looking forward to Forza Horizon 5 as well. That looks like it's a really yeah, good... Yeah, I mean, I've been meaning to play growth. Horizon 4 because obviously it's on Game Pass and I just like the idea of just being able to just book it around the UK. Just like, like crazy. Good um, and this is basically more of that, but it's in Mexico this time. Um, yeah. And as I... So it'll, come, it'll be the UK, but with the yellow filter over <laughs> the top of it. But also, like, with the Forza games, they're just beautiful. Like, they're just, yeah. Even if you don't like driving, you can just sit there and just, like, love there was, it. <laughs> there was legitimately a part in the demonstration of it where, like, the the guy showing it off from Playground just went, have a look at this geology. And he just showed you some rocks. <laughs> and, like, my, my immediate reaction was just like, oh, yeah, look at that geology. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they also showed like a volcano and I hope you can drive into it because like, <laughs> just ramp it into the volcano um, yeah but I mean, it, well it is good fun Forza Horizon 4 to just drive through the Cotswolds in Ken Block's car and just destroy and they, they did make a point as well in the demo to kind of show off that you can just stop in front of bits of scenery and you earn like points just for looking at scenery <laughs> if you've it's also to... quite I was going to say it's also quite nice as well that it's not next gen as well, but it mm. will still be available for current generation mm. machines as well, which is kind of nice. Um, but they're not pushing because that's a big that's a big title that they could have used to leave uh, people to to um, I move move. I they might be doing that with motorsport from the preview that was given for that one, but I think that one's still a while off. I think they're struggling because they know not enough consoles are in people's mm. hands at the minute, so they're hedging their bets and. Mm this generation yeah but um i did see the trailer for battlefield 2042 and as somebody who played battlefield 2 back in the days when i was actually young <laughs> it seems to have recaptured that ridiculousness feeling of yeah the first yeah, as someone that who, battlefield like, game. normally will zone out completely when a military shooter shows up that one actually genuinely caught my attention because like it was like the grappling hooks and the ridiculous like tornado sandstorm going on. And like there's a bit where someone drives a jeep into a helicopter, just drives off a building straight into the helicopter. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> it, that, that's kind of like the fun stuff that happened in Battlefield 2 back in the day. Yeah. It was that kind of ridiculous level of slap some C4 on the front of a rickshaw and like fire it at a tank. I kind of just appreciate that because normally when these types of things get shown off, it's like... Uh, you know, we're we're all working together as a squad, and you know, oh yeah, go over there, and it's all very serious. And then you actually play the multiplayer of these games, and it's nothing like that. So seeing a trailer that yeah. genuinely feels like this is kind of what it's actually like to play that, <laughs> except with, except with with few, still with not enough like teabagging thirteen year olds. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's not enough fourteen year olds going re in the background <laughs> the soundtrack over the voice chat. Someone playing like bad music through, from their phone. But it, it was a yeah. glorious trailer because it did. I think I felt the same when I saw that trailer, and I went, "Oh, I'm in for this now." <laughs> having having not played kind of the last couple of Battlefront uh, Battlefield games, but just just yeah. just watching it as it got mad, progressively madder and madder, and you were just like, "Oh, yeah, yeah I'm just down for this." Even, it was even nonsense. bits like the like when they get into the lift and it just slows down completely as they're just waiting for the lift. I was just like, "That's a fun moment. Thanks yeah. for putting that in the trailer." You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've done very well with this one, considering it's been like the also-ran franchise to the Call of Duty megalith that we keep getting, 
which is boring as hell. And now they've even taken away the single player because nobody cares about it mm. anymore. So everybody just plays whatever the latest version of Modern Warfare is. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on on a similar note of like shooters with multiplayer, uh, Halo Infinite got shown a bit more. But uh, interestingly, like even though it's coming at end of the year, we still didn't get like an actual gameplay demo. Still very CGI, and that's still a bit concerning. I think the last time they did a gameplay demo, everybody hated it that mm. much. They went, "Okay, we're not going to give you any more now." <laughs> Yeah, it was mostly just Master Chief yeah. talking to an AI that isn't Cortana, and and then like some very CGI multiplayer stuff. I mean, Halo's made by the soundtrack, and that's all they yeah. need to do is put some stirring <laughs> music on the back of Master Chief floating through space with dead people around him, <laughs> and there you go. There's a Halo trailer. Yeah, but uh, I, I've never really played a Halo game, so I can't really comment on any of it. But. <laughs> I must say the Master Chief Collection, which is on Game Pass, is a fantastic mm. deal. Yeah, for what yeah. you get. Um, I've been playing through it, and it is fantastic. It, it just shows how, like, how much fun I used to have with Halo. Um, I haven't really played anything after three for quite a while, but I think going back to the Halo Infinite thing, I do find it quite weird because again, it's one of those kind of games where you know what the multiplayer is going to be like. They're, they're not spicing it up much. Like it, It's going to be exactly what you expect it to be. So I think it was a bit weird, like, like you said, Lee, to just kind of like show the multiplayer without the actual gameplay of the actual game. Because, again, you're just there being like, we know what it's going to be like. Just yeah. looked prettier. I wouldn't mind if they didn't show us anything and just went, yeah, the game's out tomorrow. <laughs> Billy boots. There you go. Halo uh, would still uh, sell, so you know. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is with Halo is the storyline is usually has a massive, big, opening gambit scene, which is probably a massive spoiler. Which is probably why they're keeping it a little bit quiet. Mm. I mean, the one thing I will say with Halo, which I find um, as obviously graphics get better the alien weaponry looks more and more ridiculous because you'll have like a really sort of really well detailed assault rifle and then a super soaker and it worked (laughs) in the sort of like original trilogy when graphics were still when that was the art style they were going for but now it just looks weird it's like oh we brought these weapons weapons from splatoon I mean, they've still got the big hammer. I'm happy. That's, yeah. that's the best weapon in the game. Hopefully Griffball comes back, you know, because that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, at, uh, Xbox's final game that they showed off was a new game from Arcane, um, which is not actually the next game coming from Arcane because that's going to be a PlayStation exclusive due to how the contracts worked before they bought Bethesda. But... Um, I don't know what this game's going to be like, but I'm definitely interested. So it's kind of like Left 4 Dead, but with vampires. It did look, that trailer mm-hmm. did look pretty good. Was it's very like, stylish. Oh, I kind of yeah. like this. The character designs were really yeah. cool, and the powers looked really cool. But I'm like, how does this work as an actual game? Because I'm loving this trailer, yeah. but I need to know more. Well, I've already che- I've already decided which character I want to play as. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm... I mean. 
2021 seems to be the year of vampires. There seems to be a lot more vampire content. Well, I mean, through. half of that is just paradox, like abusing their World of Darkness license. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, the other one I was going to quickly mention is Stalker Two, because it's been in development for twelve years, I think, by GFC Game World. I mean, if you ever played the Stalker games, they were pretty much the Metro games before Metro games existed. It's all like post-apocalyptic Russia, and but it's one that I'm quite interested in seeing because the original games are ridiculously hard, and well, are they going to keep continuing for that kind of thing, or is it going to be another Cyberpunk 2077? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping it's going to be a good one. Um, I will say that with the Xbox conference, the two games that really caught my attention, and the two, the first two shows in all of E, first two games in all of E3, that got me genuinely excited. Psychonauts 2 has a release date, and I'm very, very, I've been waiting years for Psychonauts 2. Like the first <laughs> game is hilarious and it's brilliant, and more of that, please. And this just looks like more of that, but bigger and prettier. And, but the humour still looks like it's all there, and I'm 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 looking forward to that last week of August now, just because that's when that's out. And um, the other one that really caught my attention was uh, Playtale Requiem, which is the sequel to a Playtale Innocence, and I did not expect them to be doing a sequel to that, but uh, it, they're they're doing one. It's still like very much a CGI teaser, but sort of. Looks like it could take the story to some very interesting places, so I'm looking forward to that one, especially because of having recently replayed Innocence. So um, I will I will say I, one of the other highlights for me was the uh, the idea of a Top Gun Maverick uh, <laughs> add-on to Microsoft Flight Simulator. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get that game now because it'll be on Game Pass. It- I'm like, oh yeah. If it doesn't come with Kenny Loggins in Danger Zone, there is no point for that. I'm just like, how are you adding Top Gun to that game? Which is basically like, we're going to fly to New York. It's going to take us 14 hours. And it's like, how do you add Top Gun? In? And then, and then you get some guy just zooming straight past in an F-22. So the thing is going to fly upside down above your cockpit. The thing you got to remember about that is it's based on the the new Top Gun film more yeah. than anything else. So. Yeah. Top Gun Geriatric here. There are a couple of like really cool little indie games also shown in the Xbox thing as well. So there was Somerville, which is basically inside with an alien invasion. That looked really cool. Uh, There was Replaced, which had like just an an amazing looking pixel art Mm. style, like super detailed pixel art. I'm just like, how long did this take to make? Because having like dabbled in pixel art stuff in the past like i know how long this stuff takes and that just is so detailed and but the setting just looks really cool as well um and also i'm i'm glad to see that 12 minutes has a release date as well which is the time loop game so it's like a guy like it's got like a man and his wife getting like arrest like the police breaking into their apartment and arresting them for like a murder they don't know anything about or something like that and it's just a loop of 12 minutes and he has to try and figure out what's going on each time with that time loop going and that's out in i can't remember when that's out but it's out in the next couple of months i think um i've been looking forward to that so it was definitely a really good showing mm-hmm. from from xbox just yeah just like really something for everyone in there so 
And the amount of yeah, games they went. Honey, I sh- sorry. Sorry. I was going to say that Honey, I Shrink the Kids game, like Grounded, <laughs> coming from Obsidian as well, looks really fun, which is like a four player co op where you'll shrink to the size of an mm-hmm. ant. Yeah. But the whole idea is that they they push that whole a very high percentage of go those games were Game Pass, uh, you know, day one Game Pass releases, mm-hmm. and, and that was I think where Xbox was like, yep, uh, you you can if you're on Game Pass Ultimate, you can play all of these games straight away, and I just thought that was they were very strong on that idea of their infrastructure and how they were going to get these games to people. And mm-hmm. I, I think that they as impressive as the, the presentation was just that idea of like, yep, yeah, this is game pass day one. You can play it. Uh, I, I thought it was good. Well, I've had rumors. They're getting another significantly sized studio at some point in Microsoft's continuing acquisitions. So, might hear a bit more about that in the near future as well. Yeah, see that that annoys me though, just because it is like building a monopoly. Look, and it's look, you've had PlayStation monopoly for years. No, no, no. <laughs> it's like, time for you to have it on the other. No, side. no, like it's a, actually <laughs> like the thing with Microsoft's acquisitions is they will buy up studios that have nothing to do with Microsoft. Um, and when they bought Bethesda, when people were cheering that, I was like, this is bad, because this is a major publisher that they bought. And if they do that with all the other major publishers, then you're left with like three platform holders and nothing else. And that's not good. Like people need to remember that is that like this could get to a point where like Microsoft suddenly own like 75% of the games industry and then they jack up the Game Pass prices and there's nothing else you can do about it. So that's why people need to be a bit more wary of stuff like this, I think. I think they're trying to go for that Nintendo model because Nintendo has so many strong first and second party mm. titles. Mm-hmm. Whereas Xbox has really only had yeah. Halo mm. as their one strong title. That, that's what Nintendo are waiting for. They're waiting for that moment and then they'll release the uh, Switch Pro. I'm like, yeah, this, this all come to us now. <laughs> well, it's funny you talk about uh, Nintendo because that was the other good show. Is they their direct... Which uh, kicked off quite strong because they announced that the next uh, Smash Bros. character is uh, Kazuya Mishima from Tekken, which I'm totally on board with because Tekken is like the only traditional fighting game that I've really played. He's the most boring character of Tekken no, series. No, but he is so like, it's it, like... It's kind of one of the main characters. That's kind of why. I, I think it would have been... would have been better. What, Hayachi? I would have gone with yeah. Hayachi just because I think he's kind of more of the face of it. People kind of recognise him a bit better, but I think just because they already I mean, put a me costume of him in there, that they probably just went with someone else. <laughs> I mean, my personal choice would be Panda, or maybe <laughs> King. Panda. <laughs> Pan- Panda's awesome. Or King would have been perfect because it's a leopard-headed <laughs> Spanish wrestler. Yeah, um, King, driving Mario or Kirby, so that'd be quite good. Good for Yeah. Well, I mean, nobody wants Eddie Guado because he's the cheapest character in any <laughs> what? game no, ever. I, no, I was going to say he was the one that I'd have picked. Come on. Because he's cheap, Keith. No. He's a cheap, cheap I, character. I, I think Morang's cheaper. <laughs> oh, spam, spam so, kicks, spam kicks. But I think, I think the ultimate troll would have been if they announced, like, Gon was their character. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even a really attacking character. <laughs> anyway, could you imagine Gon versus Yoshi? <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe Ryan dissing Eddie, man. That's just... <laughs> 
He's a cheap character, Keith. We've all known it since Tekken Tag Tournament. But like, on, as well. <laughs> all he does is sit on the floor and spin round so he can't get close. He's the blanker <laughs> of the Tekken universe. So this, is, this was the thing, though, with, with all the Tekken stuff being announced, though, is my immediate reaction was, think of the music selection we're going to be getting because the Tekken soundtrack is excellent. Yeah. Um, and also just trying to think of, like, who some of the spirit fights would be. Like, King has to be one of them because... Smash Brothers already has a cat-based wrestler in it. It's, it's Incineroar. They can just use Incineroar to represent King. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so like, I'm very excited for that one. And the trailer was great just because it had Kazuya throwing everyone off a cliff into a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that I everyone mean... online had the same reaction to him carrying Kirby to the to the edge of just like, no, not him. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming they're going to have his demon as his ultimate. Um, there's def- for... They've definitely shown off some devil stuff going on. Um, and it yeah. looks like it's going to be part of his final smash, but I think it might also be part of his moveset somehow. Yeah, because they have got Angel as well, so they could flip between, I suppose, mm. if they I were. Think, I think what set. they're trying to do with it is, like, maybe there's going to be, like, a meter that builds up. Pretty similar to how, like, Joker's persona comes out after a certain period of time. So wouldn't be surprised if they do that with Kazuya. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nintendo also kind of had a general, generally good show after that. A lot, a lot of, lot of good stuff coming to the Switch. A lot of which is like still a lot of ports coming and everything. But a few like big, big titles in there as well. Um, Metroid Dread got announced, and I'm very excited about this as someone who's been Metroid. He's yeah. been say Metroid Prime again. Not Metroid Prime Four though. Um, this is a new 2D Metroid. Yeah. Um, so, like, and I think, like, they're doing this one largely to tide people over while Metro Pro 4 is still in development. Um, but, mm. like, I don't care. It's a Metroid game. It's a proper Metroid game, and it's not being made by Team Ninja. It's not a Federation force. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it's just a, a good kind of classic 2D Metroid game. I think it's following on from Fusion, from what people are saying. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, apparently this one's been sort of hinted at for years although I, this clearly has passed me by in all that time but apparently it got cancelled twice and this is this, the, this is the third attempt and it's finally getting an actual release so I did like the uh, Eddie yeah. character and the fact they're doing a double pack amiibo set for him mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking at that going do I get that on pre-order that's <laughs> quite tasty yeah I, my reaction to that was don't tempt me Nintendo I've got yeah. it <laughs> It's it's great that two franchises from my uh, childhood are back as well, in Super Monkey Ball, mm-hmm. which is one of the greatest party games ever. From made. what I gathered, that's basically like a collection of all of the Super Monkey Ball games, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks amazing, and uh, the other one is Advance Wars coming back after a long. The, the funny thing is about that one is like the day before the Nintendo Direct, I'd read a comment. Because I, I just read was reading this thing on, I think it was on Reddit or something, just people like saying what they'd like to see in the direct. And there was one guy in there going, I'm the clown who's been waiting 12 years for more Advance Wars news. I know it's never going to happen, but I'm still waiting. And then as soon as that came up, I thought of that random guy on the internet. It was just like, I bet he's just like, I mean, cutesy annihilation is always yeah. fun. And that's the joy of Advance Wars. It was like a super serious storyline with cutesy graphics. Yeah. But, um, and I, yeah, it's a really good puzzle game, and it's really strong. Yeah, 
I was genuinely surprised to see that come back because I know that there's like a devoted fan base that have been devoid of any new games in that series for a while. So, but it's, it's mm-hmm. Nintendo know their system because when you when you're looking at when you're looking at a game again like the Metroid Dread and um, Advance Wars, when you're thinking about the Switch as a handheld device, they're perfectly they're perfect games for that platform, and and I think that's Nintendo's strength is they go we know exactly what games people are going to absolutely go for mm. on on our system and and these are two of them um and and yeah i think advanced wars is brilliant because i played that on the uh game boy and ds yeah. i think yeah, yeah and then they even got the, the crazy it's, it's one not hard they had to figure out what system the advanced wars series was on because it's yeah, in the game name <laughs> i should know i've got I've got. A, there's a copy of it in one of the rooms downstairs um that yeah. we still got yeah but great games and i kind of like yeah double pack as long as you're not charging 60 dollars for it <laughs> um, i'm getting more annoyed though that i have to buy a game and watch <laughs> because it's got Link's awakening which is the best intent the zelda game on it it's like it's forcing me to have to buy a game sure, which I will never sure have, you, but it's got links. Make sure on, on, on the release date, you're just sitting on a store's website and you order it as soon as possible because that thing is going to sell out. Yeah, yeah. I, I love. It's got. I love that game and watch. Links awakening. It's like it's got like the first. Well, I was going to say the first three Zelda games, but it doesn't have a link to the past. But it's it's the first four, but without a link to the past. And then they decided we're going to do Vermin. <laughs> The old game and watch game. Yeah. We're going to put Link in it, and I'm like, why? Why are you doing that? I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm sure they could have made enough space to get Link to the Past on there as well, <laughs> instead of Vermin. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I mean, quite a bit of Zelda stuff. I loved how they kind of tried to bait and switch people at the end. So just like we got one more thing to show you, and it was DLC for Age of Calamity. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you're not going to end on this Nintendo. That would be like <laughs> maybe we are getting Breath of the Wild two at some eventual decade. Yeah, that was me, the so. big that was the big thing that everyone was waiting for was the Breath of the Wild two uh, announcement, which is out next year. Um, a lot of weird stuff going on in that trailer, like S- Sky Cities and stuff going on, and. Link phasing through bits of the world and reversing time and all sorts of stuff going on in there. Um, there's also like a weird bit of reversed audio in that trailer, and I did reverse it, and it doesn't make much more sense forwards, so I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. As someone who wasn't, who never really got into the one, I'm not super excited, but I understand why a lot of people are. There was some news from the PC gaming stuff. I know you don't really look at that too much, Lee. But um, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is coming to Stadia. I mean, it's your favourite game of the last few years on a platform which you desire so much. So I just thought I'd let you know, just in case that was tempting you into the Stadia world. And I think it was the only thing announced for Stadia, but it's coming to Stadia. I do know that, like, I think Stadia's, like, two exclusives have now been released on everything else, so... You know, there's there's a perfect reason to buy Stadia right there. Mm-hmm. I did. Is there any indie highlights? Um, I mean, in terms of like, there was a lot of stuff. Like with the Wholesome Direct was a really nice time because that was just like lots of really cute, cute games kind of just thrown at your face one after the other, like thirty seconds at a time, and it's just like there's a lot of really nice stuff in there, but it's hard to pick out 
a lot of highlights because there was so much and you don't really get a lot of time to register like things before the next game comes in. Um, but there's quite a lot of nice little stuff in there and just, you know, very... If you want to, like, manage a cat cafe or something, chances are there's a game for you out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, honestly, the best stuff coming out of E3 came from the platform holders and it came from the indie stuff. Everyone else just... I don't know what they were playing at, honestly. Yeah. Um, Pub- yeah. Publishers never seem to do well at these kind of events where it's kind of like, look at all the variety of diverse games we have and then shows the same game with six different skins. Ubisoft, <laughs> sorry. The thing is, though, like, it's, um, it's not even, like, fun E3, like, you know, the days of 2006 and that kind of thing, like the mid-noughties E3s, where they were just incredibly awkward and cringy. It was... This giant enemy, enemy crab. crab. Yeah. <laughs> or Ridge Racer. Connected, <laughs> connected Ventures. You know, that kind of, it's just it's just bland. And I think that that's kind of the worst bit. Like if, if, if they were quite meme-worthy, then fine, but not really. I think that's part of the problem of it being all online only, only because they can like pre-package it all. And you don't have the live stage show where everything goes wrong. Because then like... When the last one we had was Keanu Reeves for the Cyberpunk. Yeah. So you wouldn't you wouldn't have a moment like that where someone in the audience just yells, "You're breathtaking at Keanu." Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> but you also don't get moments like when, like that one time where Sony went to show off Uncharted Four and the controller just didn't connect. <laughs> 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 at least you knew it was a real gameplay demo. <laughs> just awkward silence as Nathan Drake just stood there. <laughs> Uh, Ubisoft well, at least with, the, uh, with the the cutscenes just breaking down and just dying, the whole thing just dying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at least you didn't have to be suffer through another Uncharted movie trailer. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that becoming in Sony's little side thing. Are they doing one this yeah, year? I mean, Jeff Keighley sort of hinted that there's going to be a state of play soon because when they talked about Death Stranding director's cut. He did say something like, we'll find out more about that in a few weeks' time or something. I was like, okay, did you just spoil that Sony are going to be doing a thing? Doing one of their just drops. Yeah. And it's like, oh, look, stuff. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, hopefully something good will come out of that. Because it, it did feel like the lack, of, the lack of PlayStation was definitely felt because I feel like that would have also been a strong show that a bunch of all these weird free-floating announcements could have been shoved into. It would have been a bit better paced as well, just to have that. But so I think that's kind of been the problem with this year is everyone's been trying to get their own part of the stage, and no one seemed to know what to do with it because you had like Deep Silver just announcing they they had a new publishing arm, and basically just sitting around for an hour and not really saying, not really showing anything. They showed us a bit of key art for Payday Three which was also seen at Summer Games Fest anyway, so that was no point of that. Capcom just came on and said, like, we're doing Resident Evil DLC. We can't show you Resident Evil DLC, but we're doing it. <laughs> and then Namco, like, books like, a slot just to show more Dark Pictures Anthology stuff, and it's like, okay. <laughs> but you've got I mean, a lot of they've, they've done so well with those anthology games. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um. One thing about Capcom, though, which I think is useful to know, is obviously they talk about part of their um, sort of slot was talking about sort of Capcom Pro Tour, which is obviously their sort of like esports arm for 
um, Street Fighter. And Capcom, uh, they've been big in sort of like esports for a, you know a long, long time. But it's interesting because they're, they're trying to get more into esports. And you can see that with, weirdly, they're trying to push Resident Evil franchise into esports with um, R-Reverse. And um, they tried with Umbrella Corps, that kind of thing. So I just thought the actual announcement itself, um, the fact they used E3 for that was interesting, but also um, just their kind of their characteristics over the past years. They're really trying really, really hard to become a big player in esports, but they're just going about it in a really bizarre way. Yeah, you know? I mean, I know that obviously Street Fighter is massive and everything, but like, I can't really see some of their other franchises taking off in the same way. Like, I think Street Fighter's got that benefit of having that longevity anyway, because fighting mm-hmm. game tournaments have been around forever. So it has that benefit, but like, like you said, trying to force Resident Evil into it is just weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I just find it a really interesting angle because, like, like they've got they've got one franchise which works really, really well in esports, but then they're trying really hard to get into that space, but they're not making any effort to kind of make new IP, which would, you know, mm-hmm. cater for that. They're just focusing purely on let's see what else, what else in the cupboard can we throw <laughs> towards like esports, you know? So I mean, they've got a lot of franchises from back in the day which they could bring out and reuse. Mm-hmm. It just, it just seems to be a bit of a waste that they only concentrate on Resident Evil because Capcom have been around for a long time and I'm sure there's enough stuff in the cupboard that they could rumble something. Like you'd think that, you know, if they're trying to really push esports, they could bring back Darkstalkers and Rival Schools or something like that. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Like 100%, especially Rival Schools because even now it has a massive cult following, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just, it's just a really bizarre move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even something like Fatal Fury or one of those games, they could easily probably swap them up mm. into something of a more modern style. Well, that's or Garou Bark of the That's Wolves SNK though. Like. That's not Capcom. Yeah, unless they want to do an, a, another Capcom <laughs> versus SNK, which you know. Yeah. I mean, Capcom versus SNK versus Marvel <laughs> versus Tetsunoko. Yeah. Yeah. That. that just, just there we go. Mix They're, all the verses together. Well, I, I, I would be on like board. Their version of Smash Brothers Ultimate for that. Capcom versus everybody, I would be fully on board for. I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd even just be happy with a Capcom versus Capcom. Just, <laughs> <laughs> enough franchises to make it work, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's definite. I loved back in the day with like, Capcom versus Marvel, and that were always some of the strongest games that I thought they had. And now they just seem to be milking Street Fighter and Resident Evil until the teeth are dry and not much mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Or Mega Man really. I don't know. Pro- yeah. Or maybe they're like, like Konami and they're just making more pachinko machines nowadays. <laughs> yeah. so but I think I wonder whether that the Capcom thing is because for me, Capcom is married to the arcade. In, that's where the Capcom games came from. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all of the games that they, that they do were started off as, as, as arcade games machines so i don't know whether the decline of arcade machines is just you know they, they don't know where to to go and compete with the, all the other studios that aren't um mm. arcade makers first and foremost it's I mean, just weird that, that capcom for me is like an arcade but you know in a similar way to like atari or um, and, and also like some of the big 
creative names that came out of Capcom, like the sort of names that stand you know stand out most of all are like um, Shinji Mikami and Hideki Kamiya, who now work for completely different companies. You yeah. know, mm. Mikami, Mikami now works for Bethesda, and and Kamiya is obviously the guy behind Platinum and everything. So it's like you know. I mean, they did say about another Ace Attorney game. Yeah. Mm. And that was, I think it's been a Japanese only yeah, spin-off like franchise. Is, I think it's a compilation of two games that have just been Japan only releases for the longest time. So, mm. they are definitely a company where um, they kind of accidentally do well and don't really know why. Because um, <laughs> I think the Village announcement is a perfect example where they're going. The DC DLC is coming. But you can tell they weren't really planning it because they weren't really sure whether Village was going to work or not. Mm-hmm. Um, even though obviously Resident Evil Seven was a great success and they they were building momentum with RE Two, which was another sellout, that kind of thing. They and, just and you know they they, to... they made all that promotional material with the character that made everyone horny on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not think that that would be successful? <laughs> it's moved on now, Lee. It's the new Samsung Galaxy oh, S twenty one mascot. I believe is the is the current bay of the internet. <laughs> but for that moment, on on the, around the it game's a, release, it was a seven foot vampire lady. They, they need to they need to Death get conventions going pretty soon because like you know they're gonna those body pillows are gonna go a bundle like the eight foot body pillows <laughs> um, that everybody's gonna want. All I'm just thinking is a future armor crossover with Death by Snoo Snoo <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, that was uh, that was E3, just a bit messy in places. Well, for the most part, and then just you know Xbox and Nintendo just really showing everyone else how it's done really i guess so mm-hmm. i mean next big one is tgs i think or is that already probably i don't know when that's happening but i know that like yeah. ea have got like a separate thing going on and playstation will inevitably have something soon so we'll probably see little shows like that pop up over the next few months mm-hmm. so yeah let's hope conventions and things like that can restart again soon so we can go and Play those Cheeto encrusted controllers <laughs> that they have. I, I was I was quite happy that the, the, the two big showings were from the, the two systems I've actually got access to. So I was like, yeah, this is good. Um, but also as well, quite shocked at the at the lack of of next gen stuff. Really, I mean, we, we we are a good few months into that that um, generation now, and it didn't seem to be there wasn't seem didn't seem to be that push to move everybody to the. Next I honestly, I honestly feel like that generation has launched too early yeah because like the games don't yeah. seem to have caught up to it so i think there's probably a, a raft of games that they're not talking about on purpose because they're waiting for enough adoption to get in place mm-hmm. before launching so i can imagine a lot of release schedules have probably been pushed back hence why we're getting more remastered and game of the year editions and all looks and dlc that we don't have to what was the board of Sony who are going? Why didn't we buy? Why didn't we build more than five PS5s? <laughs> why did we start with such a low number? Oh, what was that all about? Yeah. You said it's like it's like I imagine I'm imagining like, like a Sony version of um, Spinal Tap, where somebody's written the numbers down, <laughs> and the board, met the, you know, the guys in in charge of Sony have said like make make half a million uh, PS5s ready for launch. And somebody's written a half K 
Like that's that's what it is. It's, it's a million. Yeah. Like, it's a, so why have we it's, only got? It's the other way around, Keith. I want a console this big, <laughs> <laughs> and they've gone to it, and they said, "Make the console six foot." Uh, <laughs> we want that. Console, like, yeah. Do you think any more than five will probably just sink Japan? You know, they'll just go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sony. Don't, I don't mean to disrespect. <laughs> Uh, oh, the other big e E3 news, we almost missed out on it, was Microsoft are releasing a mini fridge, oh, yes. which looks exactly the same as the Series X. Th that, so you can have a mini fridge queued up with your Series that X. That was great, because like, the moment that I was doing my kind of wind down, my opinions on the Xbox thing, I was recording all that, and then the fridge showed up and I went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I just completely <laughs> lost my train of thought <laughs> just as that showed up. My favourite part as well is just in that trailer they showed, yes, this is really happening. <laughs> I think it's been a meme yeah. for that long. It's kind of like... I mean, fair, fair yeah, we'll, play. We'll take advantage. Fair play for them to lean into that so hard. They're just going, yeah, all right, here, have a mini fridge. Yeah. I mean, Sony missed out on that with the PlayStation 3 because they could have had that George Foreman grill franchise tied well, up. I mean, I mean so, with the PS5, so it ago. needs to be one of those like standing fans now. Or a router. Yeah. <laughs> they just need um, a Seto Kaiba head to stick on top of like that on. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> or a Sora and I. Sony, <laughs> Sony uh, kind of partner with EE. E to launch the PS5 EE router. Get 5G in your house, plus all the latest PlayStation games. That, that'd, be, that'd be the way to go. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody has modded it with the Eye of Sauron yet, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was E3. Thanks very much for the round. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Geeky Brewery podcast this week. Uh, hope you found it entertaining. Lee, where can we find you online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I do various different gaming videos. You can find my edited highlights of reactions to E3 currently, um, as well as a video about Ratchet and Clank, celebrating the history of all that. Um, you can also support the channel on Patreon at Bob the Pet Ferret as well. Uh, you can get updates on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret, and I have a personal Twitter at The Cheap Ferret as well. Keith, where can we find you online? Uh, occasionally posting photographs on Instagram under the at Hardlook Hotel, no underscore on my Instagram. Uh, and then on Twitter, basically typing rants in, but then not posting them mm -hmm. uh, at Hardlook underscore hotel, uh, but then just kind of mostly retweeting the content that I'm putting out through the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed. Um, so I'm, I'm retweeting myself, retweeting myself. There's some kind of bizarre. Um, Thing happening there that will eventually cause the end of the world as we know it. But that's fine. it's like Bruce Willis in Looper. <laughs> yeah, my future self will come back and tell me, "Stop! Don't tweet that message." Okay, <laughs> that's the one. Matt, where can we find you online? Uh, if you like my sunburnt complexion, you can see my selfies at Matchstick. Uh, Matt at Matchstick underscore Matt on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter at Mr. Matt Lovell. And I also do I take over the geek from Twitter on Mondays. Mm -hmm. And Shanice couldn't unfortunately join us today, but you can find her on Instagram at Idle Creek 101. And I think that's her Etsy shop as well. If you want to go and buy some of that lovely artwork. And you can find me at Ryan Parrish on Twitter when I remember to log in, which doesn't happen very often. 
You can find me at Mond when there's food stuff for me to take the pee out of, which also hasn't happened at the minute. So you can mainly find me at Geeky Brummy on a Tuesday. And hopefully, as the time of this podcast comes out, you'll be getting my inaugural technology post this Tuesday, which I'm going to be rounding up the freshest tech news on a Tuesday on the Twitter feed as well. Uh, thank you for all enjoying us. Uh, as as usual, can you please like, subscribe, share the YouTube rethink the buttons are down here somewhere. You know, you know which ones we mean. Uh, but don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at geekybrummy.com. Uh, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geekybrummy if you're listening to the podcast. Or you can check the podcast out if you're listening if you're watching on YouTube. Many ways to engage with that content. You, you could you but, could um, look at the screen whilst playing the video, whilst listening to us on headphones. I mean, you might, you might have some problems syncing it all off, <laughs> but, you know. Let us know how you get on. Did it make sense if we were slightly out, uh, out of sync? <laughs> Mick, have you thought that I was Ryan and Lee was me because the voices were coming out of different places? You know, experiment. But also, if you mute the video and play Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety, <laughs> <laughs> Is this where we came in? (laughs) (laughs) Or alternatively, you can tell me about how not wrong I am that Link's Awakening is the best of all Legend of Zelda games. And please engage in the comments below and tell me why I'm wrong. It's Majora's Mask, that's why you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.